Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first quarantined edition of Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside soccer journalist and Syria Ah specialist Sam Griswold and media executive Grail Hallett. Over the Ball, where we bring you the world's game from an American perspective. Today on OTB, we check in with one of the top soccer journalists in the country, a man who always has the inside scoop on what's going on here domestically and abroad, and with U.S. soccer, more importantly. Senior writer for Sports Illustrated, Grant Wall, will be our guest. All right, boys, uh, what are you over on Over the Ball today? Well, I am over visuals of spring break lunatics on the beaches of Florida and Georgia. Mm. Where is their common sense? Get inside and please protect us all. Where are their parents? Go ahead. What do you got, Sam? I guess, I mean, I don't, I guess I'm over this, but I, I'm just coming to terms with, you know, how much my life revolves around sports. Uh, I'm sure other people are dealing with this too and struggling for, you know, points of reference during this time. But um, yeah, I'm just finding the built-in structure that sports provides is kind of an absence. I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling to deal with. And I don't know what that says about me, but. Um, <laughs> well, I think a lot of America, a lot of the world, actually, a lot of people live their lives through sports. And so this is yes. a time to maybe reassess and say, uh, I, you know, I know in college I stopped watching NFL football because I said, if I, if I don't watch football, I have, I have feel like I have two Saturdays. Um, you know, there's certain things that I, I just love, though. You know, the EPL, I watch some MLS, uh, the NCAA Final Four, Men's Final Four. I mean, just uh, it's endless. So, uh, but people are reassessing, introducing themselves to their children yes. and uh, their wives. And, uh, you know, Gra- uh, Grail, to talk about you, with, um, you know, I got stuck in Florida and I was trying to get back. And, uh, th- you know, they're talking about these young people are very cavalier about mm-hmm. getting the virus. And what they don't understand is you're, you're you can bring it back to your parents or God forbid your grandparents. So uh, I'm at the airport in, uh, in Fort Myers, Florida, mm. and I'm really worried. I've got, you know, cleaning my hands, keeping everything. I go into the, into the men's room. I'm at the urinal. There's an old timer next to me. You know, one of the old timers <laughs> with the, like the world war two hat and, sure. and it's on a little bit sideways. And, you know, uh, I say, thank you for your service. And he says, oh, thank you, son. You know, and so all of a sudden, a young kid, about 19, comes out of the stall, the bathroom stall. I tweeted about this. Comes out of the bathroom stall and starts to leave. And I go, hey, 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 wash your hands. Which my girlfriend always tells me to mind my own business. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes I just intrusive. can't help it. Thank God she wasn't in the restroom and the men's bathroom. So I go, I go, hey, hey, wash your hands, you know? And he goes, oh, I'm not going to get the virus. I'm not worried about it. I go, uh, all right, you might not get the virus, but I guarantee you, if you don't wash your hands, you're definitely going to get a punch. And he goes, what? <laughs> and I go, you don't wash your hands, you're going to get punched. I'll Tough guarantee guy. it. And, and the old guy goes next to me, he goes, uh, you'll get punched twice. <laughs> and, and I turned to him, I go, don't worry. I go, I'll hit him twice. Don't worry about it. He goes, oh, thank you. So the kid washed his hands, but uh, nice. it, it was it was very annoying. Good for you to call him out, Flinny. Well done. Uh, yeah, but the problem is I can't back up my mouth anymore. So if he had no. actually tried to take a swing at me, who knows what would have happened. Um, so it's a weird it's a weird world right now. It's affecting the soccer world that we can talk sort of, you know, selfishly. This is a soccer podcast. We can't not acknowledge what's going on in the uh, global stage, but uh, but how it affects soccer. It's, it's shut down all over the world. Um, my big news, which I want to talk to our guest, Grant Wall about is the hiring of Cindy Parlow, whether it's just in an interim basis, uh, to sort of write the U.S. soccer ship. We are adrift. 
Oh, yeah. uh, we didn't qualify for the World Cup. The men and the women are, you know, uh, just, I don't think either of themselves are doing themselves a service. They're both looking bad. U.S. soccer looks just a ship without a rudder. Hires, they haven't hired a CEO. Uh, Cordero, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what the guy sounds like uh, you know, at a time where we need leadership. Uh, you know, the whole Burhalter thing, you know, you talk about the Burhalter experience, then we realize his brother is in the front yeah. office. It's like making the call. And why didn't they interview Jesse Marsh and other people, Tab Ramos, for the job? It just seems so broken. Did you see the salaries? They posted Flynn's, Flynn's and Burhalter's salary, and they were both close to a million dollars a year. A million bucks a piece. And I'm yeah. thinking, for what? What? I mean, you got to be kidding me. That's way too much money for somebody to be making in that job, in my opinion. Well, I know. I think, uh, you know, here we are talking about the bailouts again for yes. certain industries. Uh, you know, they're talking about the airline industries, which I'm paying $30 for a bag, $2 for a cup of coffee. I had to fly Spirit Airlines. I'm, they're like $2 for a cup of coffee. I'm like, oh my God, like flying during this coronavirus outbreak isn't bad enough. Now I'm on your airline. And then the balls of the uh, cruise ship industry Oh yeah. Uh, to ask for a bailout yes. uh, when they don't even pay U.S. taxes. They fly foreign no. flags. Are they, US, have no, uh, they have no laws. Our U.S. Uh, Coast Guard has to escort every ship out to protect American citizens on that boat. They don't pay taxes. Now they're looking for a bailout. Boeing looking for an $80 billion bailout. Everybody's in line. You know, Flinny, if the cruise industry you know, went down like the Titanic, I could care less in the overall scheme of things. Honestly, it's, it's a luxury industry i don't you know begrudge uh, no, anybody goes on cruises but we it need is. to take we need to take, take care of workers right. restaurant workers regular workers the people that are the backbone of this nation hey you know you know the people who are all still working uh, the yes. people at hotels and not at hotels at, at the supermarkets and things they're all mm -hmm. minimum wage earners so mm -hmm. they're the ones that are now working in the most uh, difficult time around so let's exactly. let's move it to soccer so we went we went right from u.s <laughs> soccer there to uh to workers at at Seven Eleven and Stop and Shop, so I don't know how we made that one, but um, a lot of these leagues around the world. Uh, and Sam, you could talk about uh, the Serie A and it, the Italian situation, but uh, you know, even in the EPL, they're looking like they're still talking like they want to finish the season. Is that realistic? Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised by just how quickly people are talking about jumping back into things. Um, I read that, well, the EPL won't get back at it until at least April 30th, but mm -hmm. um, they no want to get back as soon as possible. Um, I read this morning the city uh, is considering three potential you know, restart dates, May 2nd being the earliest there. Um, and, you know, they're already outlining, you know, how they're going to finish the season before June 30th. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know there's, you know, you want to give people the hope and something to look forward to, but um, I, I don't know. It just seems slightly implausible at this point to me. Uh, Sam, talk a little bit about culturally Italy. Why do they find themselves in this position? I mean, we, we always complain about them every week as far as Syria, ah, the decisions they seem to make. Uh, they're, one of the teams is going to start training again, they've announced, uh, in small groups. Like, that's going to set an example? I mean, what is it with the Italians? Yeah, so, well, this is Cagliari that you're talking about, who um, hmm. are obviously on the island of Sardinia, who have not really... Obviously? I don't, I don't think obviously <laughs> there. Pliny <I mean, laughs> doesn't know where Bayonne, New Jersey is, is Sam. Come on. Me? 
Well, I know where Bayonne is because cruise ships go out of there. That's where I used to work. But uh, um, with the little team on the island of Sardinia seems to escape me. I, I missed that day at geography class. Sorry. So they, they've, you know, been secluded and um, not as hard hit as the rest of the country uh, or world at this point. Um, so they've announced they're going to start training again, um, dividing the team into small groups to uh, comply with the social distancing guidelines. Um, the response from the Players Association and Italian Association of Coaches um, has unsurprisingly been negative and they're urging all players, um, you know, and staff not to be working at this point. Um, you know, Italy has a historical problem with following rules, uh, which is one of the reasons why this crackdown has been, you know, especially difficult. It's also, you yeah. know, an incredibly social country, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you talk about networks and groups and families. So having to be isolated for them, I think, is especially difficult. Not that it's easy for anybody. Right. Um, but, you know, already uh, people are saying, I, I mean, not just because of the break that we're dealing with right now in Serie A, but people are already mm-hmm. saying the season's been falsified by, you know, before it shut down, letting some teams play, some teams not, you know, because then it's yeah. going to overload the schedule when they come back, some with fans, some without. Um, and, you know, people in Italy always think they're getting screwed and there's some, you know, greater mechanism at play that is, you know, keeping them down. So uh, the fact that, you know, this team Coyote is returning to training, I think will only lead to, you know, more squabbling and, right. you know, cause then you start in three weeks and Coyote has yeah. been training for two weeks and Juventus players have all been in quarantine. I mean, how's that fair? I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't bode well. You, you know, it's interesting, Sam, you touch upon something that's happening here because we're looking for federal mandates to say, shut stuff down. Uh, but it's being left to the governors and the states are acting ahead of time. So each state has a different, uh, you know, um, factor going into like whether they should shut things down. You know, you look at the middle of yeah. our country and there's no coronavirus there, but on the outskirts, on the on the coasts, it is. We know it's going to move inside, but when do you shut it down? Um, so it seems like that's that was the problem in Italy. But Italy now you see, unfortunately, it's these terrible videos of, of bodies in Back of trucks. trucks. Yeah, yeah, army trucks. It's just horrible. And, uh, you know, we, we've got to mobilize here. For, you know, forget soccer, just uh, for public health. And, and in terms of the EPL, honestly, I, I would have no issue um, awarding Liverpool with the league trophy uh, at, at some point. Um, they're clearly, they clearly are so far ahead that nobody's going to catch them anyway. I, I, I don't think you can void the season. Yeah. frankly, and act as if it didn't exist. But, you know, also, I just think it's such a long shot that these games are going to get played. I, I really do. I, I think the season's just going to have to be curtailed, and we wait till the start of the new season. That, to me, is just the sensible right. thing to do. Well, already there are too many games sandwiched in between, you know, with the you know FA Cup and uh, you know, all these different cups and the Champions League. and uh, You know, so it's sort of like it's already – too tight players complained about yeah. playing too many games. Like how do you have a shortened season that pushed all these games into a, a shortened period of time? So uh, um, one thing I think would be interesting, um, you know, they're talking about going, returning and playing these games, most likely in front of, you know, empty stadiums. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. but that's also, you know, raises its own issues because you still need X amount of people just to, you know, run the stadium, even yeah, if workers. the workers are there. Yeah, but here's the thing, right, yeah, you have that, and then you also, you know, once the Utah player tested positive, you realize 10 guys on a court, even if you have nobody watching them, mm-hmm. uh, they're bumping up against each other, sweating, 
it would go through that NBA league like whoosh, like yeah, oh yeah, wildfire, sure. you know. So, but, so but I, I just wonder if there, if anyone has floated the idea of, you know, if they are in fact going to play these games of playing them, you know, maybe at the training grounds, yeah, or somewhere where you could get a TV camera in and you could watch it on TV, but you'd need, you know one quarter of the amount of people just to run the thing. Yeah, well, you could just set up a series of digital cameras and record it so that everybody knew that it wasn't a fake moon landing or something, right? That the game actually yeah. took place. Yeah, then we and, get into uh, some conspiracy. How do you say the name of that team, uh, <laughs> Sam, in Italian? Cagliari. 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 I was going to say Calamari. That's how I'm going to remember. Nobody says it better than Sammy. I know, exactly. Him and what's his name on ESPN? Sammy's going to, I mean, Flynn's going to rush to the Atlas after this podcast to look up Sardinia on the map. Well, Sardinia, historically, it's a place where there was real pestilence uh, disease at one point in time it was known i think everybody on there died but sam this sort of brings up a sort of a local issue an island that is has no coronavirus there people from italy i would imagine will start to go out there uh which reminds me of you know our experience with nantucket and martha's vineyard people heading out to those islands people are going to, to china get that people are going to china right now because china now has have, has had no incidents recently they seem to have gone, they seem to, have, uh, at least from what they're saying, they're on the other end of this. So uh, two months ago or a month ago, people were racing out of China and now people are actually going to China. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just yeah. It's, I, I think the, the restrictions on movement right now in Italy will probably, um, you know, not let that happen, not let people start flocking there. But, um, right. but yeah, I mean, I, anecdotes yep. from friends up on the vineyard, you know, a lot of people are, are heading up there, a lot of summer people um yeah so it's, it's complicated I don't, yeah yeah all right well there's a lot of other things going on you know one thing i wanted to talk to you guys about was uh the trouble that ronaldinho has gotten into i i don't know what it is with ex soccer stars from brazil <laughs> but they always seem to get in these really paraguay. bizarre he's from paraguay isn't he uh you know i, I don't know whether he went there to play in yeah. a friendly but he had a passport uh a paraguayan passport that it was illegal and he said it was the sponsor had but but he's in prison now. He's playing <laughs> he's playing pickup games in prison. Prison ball. Prison ball. Yeah. So uh, you know, <laughs> no. What do you know the backstory on that, Sam? Like what what exactly happened? How did like like he's gonna walk through any South American, Central American country and not be recognized as yeah. Ronaldinho? Uh, like you know you know it's like having a yeah you have a pet, you're Swiss. I thought you were Brazilian. I, uh, geez, who knew you were Swiss? I don't, I don't have a ton of background on this. I know the charges are um, of using a fake Paraguayan passport. Um, there's been it's like rumors. a college kid get, trying to get into a bar. Hey, what's up? There's rumors that there may be some money laundering issue at stake. I feel, I think uh, he was with oh, his, I'd be shocked. I think he was with his brother. Um, yeah, but perfect. apparently he's being held in a very um, cushy prison and uh, was being heavily recruited to play uh, in the local, you know, well, local, maybe not, but the, the prison five on five league. Um, oh man! Things have changed. Uh, I think my soccer life is bad. Look at Flinty, that. Flinty, that'd be more uh, a little more physical than the indoor professional league you even played in. Yeah, go over the ball, you get shivved. <laughs> and how luxurious can a Paraguayan prison be? Really, exactly. Uh, you actually have a blanket. You know, luxury, luxury, luxury. That, that could be. That could be the only soccer though that's available on TV in the near future. Is there are there pr are prison balls out there? Yeah, there are a few prison balls out there. Like, 
Great. All right. Well, uh, we have a great show coming up today. We're going to talk to Grant Wall, who always has, uh, you know, such a great view on everything. And, and uh, believe it or not, Grant, you were talking about his wife is actually an infectious disease specialist who has yeah, Dr. Dr. Celine Gounder uh, of Johns Hopkins, who's one of the foremost infectious disease and global health experts, is all over CNN, MSNBC. She's one of the go-to people. Incredibly impressive smart, thoughtful. CNN and MSNBC. What are you, she's fake all news? Over the she's fake a free news agent. No, she, she's a free agent. She's oh, I'm talking about you. Yeah, she, no, she's one of those sought after people. And uh, no, it's just, it's good to have just the professionals. It's very reassuring right. to me watching the professionals versus I'll just Opinions. say the other, the other people that are giving information. I won't get too political here. Well, science is science. So uh, yes. it, it's great. So uh, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk to Grant about uh, all these, uh, you know, when, the Olympics will be, or what his thoughts are on some of that. So he has all that soccer knowledge, but he also has his wife telling him, you know, how this pandemic will play out and how it will affect uh, world soccer. So uh, OTB is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. Includes Soccer America Daily, Soccer on TV, Game Report, Soccer Talk, and Essay Confidential. Uh, over the Ball is also brought to you by Ticket IQ. Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. You can visit and register on TicketIQ.com. All right, boys, when we come back, we'll be talking to Sports Illustrated writer Grant Wall. So stick around. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he's one of the world's leading soccer journalists. He joined Sports Illustrated in November of 1996 as a reporter and promoted to his current position as senior writer way back in October of 2000. Uh, he's covered 11 World Cups, six men's, five women's, and five Olympics. His first book, The Beckham Experience, was the first soccer book to make the New York Times bestseller list. His second book, Master of, uh, of Modern Soccer, is about the craft of soccer, position by position. Uh, he speaks also uh, Spanish. And he hosts the Planet Football Podcast. Here's a little uh, thing I'm going to throw at you. It's our buddy Grant Wall. His wife is also Dr. Celine Gowner. Uh, she is a doctor of uh, infectious diseases. Uh, that's her specialty. She uh, also has a great podcast, really uh, prescient right now with what's happening. It's called Epidemic. She co-hosts it with Ron, uh, Ron uh, Klain, who headed up the Ebola response for the Obama administration. So Grant, welcome to Over the Ball. Good to be back, guys. How are you? Well, you married a really smart woman, but she wasn't smart <laughs> enough to not marry you. <laughs> I don't know how I did this, but yes, I'm not holding up. <laughs> so, uh, well, first of all, talk about, uh, you know, I mean, your wife's got the inside scoop on a lot of this stuff that's happening, uh, a very informative podcast, Epidemic, but uh, it's affecting the soccer world as well. But what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't think I've ever, we've ever lived through anything quite mm. like this. You know, obviously, uh, you know, we've lived through some wars, uh, you know, nothing on the scale of a world war or Vietnam. But, uh, you know, this is something where the country, the, in most parts of the globe, is shut down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm literally on, I don't know what day you guys are on, I'm on day 10 of home lockdown here yeah. in New York. And um, it's just something that's very clear that if we're going to beat this thing, we're going to have to do it as a community. We're going to have to do it as a country and we're going to have to all be on the same page uh, for it to work. 
we, we talked in the opening about how annoyed we are at those who are not taking this quarantine advice. You know, like you saw the pictures down in Florida. Uh, I unfortunately was in Florida and had to get home and uh, flew two days ago. But oh, wow. I, I told the story in the beginning. A kid came out of the bathroom stall and didn't wash his hands. And he said, oh, I'm not going to get the virus. I said, I know, but if you don't wash your hands, you're going to get a punch. That's for sure. I will tell you that. <laughs> um, but uh, this is really serious stuff. You know, even you mentioned Vietnam. It almost seems like it affects us more than Vietnam because it's the whole world. And this is affecting people's daily lives. I, uh, like I said, you know, as a stand-up comedian, I have no work till June. It's all been canceled till June. So it's, uh, and I'm sure so many people have, have that problem so um yeah it's just really tough right now and and uh you know i have a lot of admiration for anybody who has to work outside the home that literally has mm -hmm. to be out there i have so much admiration for uh medical professionals you know one of them is my wife um and we have a lot of friends obviously who who work at hospitals who um you know are, are in uh, a spot where they have immense risk to themselves. Uh, and, and right now at least, and hopefully this improves, but the amount of personal protective equipment they got at hospitals in New York and elsewhere is running out or is out in some places. And so you have the CDC issuing statements to doctors uh, about you know wearing a bandana over your mouth because there aren't enough masks. And that's unacceptable. So, you know, really the government needs to take action to, to be prepared for this and not just for a week or two from now, which is going to be crazy, but, uh, but for right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We seem to be dragging our feet a little bit, uh, a lot actually. And, you know, you try to avoid political stuff, but uh, we are not prepared and we have not handled this very well. I don't care, you know, because you can't have revisionist history. It's on tape. People have seen what people have said a month back. Uh, and so, you know, my, I, uh, my niece is an oncology nurse and she, you know, worked in hospice and is caregiving and it's a calling really, uh, these, these things that they do. And she has been pushed into uh, dealing with coronavirus patients in New York City. So uh, she's doing, um, doing the good work there. So, uh, uh, Grail, you had a question? Yeah, uh, first of all, Grant, big props to Celine and the great work that she's doing. And it's, it's so nice to have a voice of intelligence and reason during this crazy time. It's certainly not coming out of the White House. So <laughs> anyway, uh, the, there, there are a lot of, so, so just getting back to soccer, um, there are a lot of moving parts, obviously, worldwide. Um, and you've written really well about it in, on SI.com. I'm just curious if you can give just kind of an overview of um, kind of where we are because there's a domino effect and things get pushed down. Uh, you know, what's the reality of stuff coming back? I would just love for you to give our listeners kind of an overarching view of kind of where we are at the moment. Well, we've already had Euro 2020, the big event of the summer, postponed for a year by UEFA and the Copa America down in South America. And so the reason for doing that, uh, one of the reasons is so if things do improve, that the domestic leagues in Europe will be able to continue through the end of June. They want, they'd love to finish the leagues by June 30th. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see whether that's possible and but they want to give it the opportunity at least um and so that's a big thing that's happened this week and then also here with mls they came out with a statement uh 
just yesterday that they are going to follow the CDC's guidelines uh, about for the next, for an eight week period, having you know not a situation where you have crowds of more than 50. And so MLS is targeting as of right now, May 10th, to try and come back. I think even MLS and most of us realize that is pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, that's kind of, it is what it is. Um, yeah. And we'll see. I mean, Grant, explain that a little bit because, uh, you know, like I said, you have sort of a, a, an expert right there in the house. So um, how does she project this playing out? Like, um, are, are people talking June? Things will be okay? Uh, we don't really know uh, totally yet. And so I think what we're seeing is that every two weeks or so, there's going to be sort of a, an assessment of, of where we are. Um, and and it's pretty hard to just say yeah we're shutting everything down for three months now but i think in the end this is all going to add up to something like three to five months of what we're experiencing right now and you know just last night the entire state of california went into shelter at home Mm -hmm. and so i think we'll see what how that plays out. Our, our governor here in New York State, who's in charge of whether we would go as a state into shelter at home, Andrew Cuomo, who I think has done a pretty yeah, good job Yeah, a lot of people overall. say good job, yeah. Um, you know, he's saying, as of now, that he doesn't want to do shelter at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I, I, you know, the mayor of New York, who hasn't been great, Bill de Blasio, right. Right. thinks it sounds like he wouldn't mind doing shelter at home. So we'll see. Basically, I've been doing shelter at home myself for the last 10 days. I don't know right. about you guys, but like, yeah. uh, you're better off staying at home. Staying at home, know? yeah. Yeah, and you're, like I said, you're in the know. It's interesting. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, I was in Florida for a bunch of gigs and contractually I had to be there and it was canceled the night before, thank God, you know, so, uh, but a lot of people from New York had gone down to Palm Beach. So now there's a lot of cases down there. It's a lot of old people down there. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the map of the hotspots, it's really on the coasts. Uh, the middle of the country is sort of uh, still somewhat clear. And the problem is people don't quite take it seriously when nothing really, no one has it around them and they don't really feel the effects. But eventually that's going to fill in. And, um, you know, Sam is our Syria expert in all things Italy, and uh, they made a lot of mistakes. So we're hoping to not make the same mistakes they did, but it seems like we are. So uh, hopefully this changes. So football seems very uh, minor at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's Italy in particular right now. And, and this had been, uh, I think, a pretty fun league season over in Italy, a really interesting one. And, and obviously it, it is not happening now and pales in comparison to what's happening over in Italy, where now they have more deaths from coronavirus than China. Um, and just hearing about what hospitals are like there right now is, is just so sad. And in one of the worst hit cities is Bergamo, which is where Atalanta is. Atalanta, one of the, the best stories in European soccer yeah. uh, right now, with what they've done getting the Champions League quarterfinals. So um, just, you know, sending as many positive vibes as I can to everybody, but especially yeah. in Italy right now. Yeah, Grant, Grant, do you think there's any benefit to setting Dates. I mean, I, I get the one aspect of it, which is to keep the fan base engaged and to give them a sense of hope. The flip side of that is giving them a sense of false hope and also maybe not articulating the seriousness of 
the of COVID-19. Right? In other words, if you just said we're suspended indefinitely, I think it would carry a lot more weight than every two weeks or whatever it is, giving it an update on whether or not we can come back. And just from a common sense standpoint, looking at it, it just seems so far-fetched that a lot of these things are actually going to come back anytime soon. Just curious your thoughts. You know, I think overall, I think MLS has done a pretty good job uh, with coronavirus in terms of preparation, in terms of they were pretty early among sports leagues in suspending the season indefinitely. Uh, I think they came just a few hours after the NBA did. Uh, and obviously, I think the NBA, once they suspended the season, that got the dominoes rolling mm -hmm. for so many other American leagues. But, um, yeah, I don't totally know exactly why MLS felt the need to, to say May 10th, because mm -hmm. I do think there's a false hope there. Maybe that has to do with uh, potentially, you know, getting venue secured mm -hmm. for for certain days. I, I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to be overly critical of them on this one, just because I get the sense, at least from my observations and talking to people in the league, that they've done a, a good job overall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's, I think no one, it's the great unknown. Grant. So it's a, if everyone had shut down completely, maybe we would have been out of this uh, by May or June, but it, it's, uh, it's all a great unknown at this point. So, uh, you know, like I said, all of my work is canceled till June as a stand-up wow. comedian. And my mother called me, she was concerned. She goes, well, do you think you could play soccer again for money? I said, oh, wow. <laughs> those days are all over. And I said, nobody's <laughs> playing soccer anyway. I, I, could I, give I love that my mom. mother still believes I can't run a mile without you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> give me your mom's phone number. I'll have a chat with her <laughs> no. about the possibility. Yeah, many would argue I could never play. So this is, uh, <laughs> except my mother. So yeah, go ahead, so, Sam. Yeah, so, so speaking of the unknown, Grant, um, my, my biggest question in all this, and you know, maybe it's too early to, to have any kind of idea, but um, it's felt like some time now in especially European soccer, we've been, you know, maybe heading towards, you know, a super league or limits on spending. Like we've been kind of on this knife edge. Um, and I'm wondering whether this crisis, you know, accelerates or decelerates, in your opinion, any of those possibilities. You know, I, I certainly hope not. I, I, I would hate to see some fat cat billionaire owner, you know, owners of clubs in Europe try and use this situation for their own advantage or to accelerate something like that. And, you know, like what I would say about a super league in Europe is this is not a new idea. And I remember when I started out in the 1990s, you know, at Sports Illustrated, this topic was being talked about. And I understand the forces in play here, but I'm not necessarily assuming that it's going to happen, that it's an inevitability that domestic leagues are going to be completely minimized by a European Super League, because I think there would be a lot of fighting against that. I mean, you know, I, I see what's also happening in the wider world, and I, I hope that we don't take some, one lesson we don't take from this coronavirus uh, pandemic is to close our, our borders even more, right? Because the trend we've seen is very, the last few years, especially is anti-globalization, yeah. uh, you know, more border controls, all that sort of stuff. And I, I think that overall has been bad for the world. 
know, and so I, I really do hope that um, that the lesson we get from coronavirus is that we are all in this together, all being everybody, every country, mm-hmm. and the response here is not like let's increase our let's fortify our borders even more. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the one thing about being a soccer fan, a world football fan, is we realize there's a world out there. I think a lot of times Major League Baseball, uh, NBA is sort of international in lots of ways, but American football, we become so provincial. Uh, those of us who have been in the soccer world have, have uh, played and met and, and enjoy soccer from all over the world and played with people from all different nations and cultures. And I think we embrace this idea a little bit easier. So, uh, uh, Grail? Yeah, so Grant, just a nuts and bolts question. What, what, what do you think the over-under is of actually getting the Champions League completed in kind of a weekend format? They're talking about maybe trying to get the league play first and then pushing Champions League off and I guess getting that done maybe in the summer. What, what do you think uh, realistically the chances are? Man, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, okay. If I don't have an answer, I just... It's That's better fine. for me to say, I don't sure. know, you know, I yeah. mean, like, it's just going to depend on, uh, on the overall global and European situation in terms of, of health. And one area where I sort of shifted, and even my wife, a public health expert, shifted was she was in the group that thought oh, maybe 10 to 15 days ago that with sports, we might be able to continue having these games in empty stadiums. Mm-hmm. And basically, the second that Rudy Gobert from Utah Jazz tested yeah. positive, that ended that for pretty much everybody mm-hmm. uh, in terms of thinking that sporting events could actually continue like that. So that, I mean, and that surprised, you know, that, that surprised even her. So, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, we had been talking also at that point about, you know, are the Olympics going to happen? And I think the IOC has done a pretty terrible job so far. Yeah, uh, really showing a lack of leadership to not just to like all they had to do was say we're 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 monitoring this closely. We may have to make some major decisions. Instead, they sort of dug their heels in even now yeah. and said the Olympics are going to happen. The Olympics are going to happen, and now you've got Olympic athletes being very critical publicly of the IOC for this stance because yeah. these athletes aren't even in a position where they can train right now. Yeah. Yeah, well, Thomas Bach, the head of the IOC, has done this historically, and he did the same thing, remember, with the Russian drug situation where he dug his heels in. And I just think, I I don't think you can really go past May before you make a decision on if it's a go or a no-go. And Japan hasn't even done a lot of testing in Japan, so we don't even know if there's a bigger problem in Japan. Yeah, and, and the issue also with the Olympics is, and, and obviously there's a soccer aspect of the Olympics, right? Sure. Especially the women's tournament, but there's a yeah. men's tournament too. Um, even if you don't have spectators, like the Olympic Village would oh. just be a bad petri Oh my God, yeah. With people from so many countries and such close quarters, and I don't see how that's workable. And supposedly it's classically uh, a great place to go for a booty call, apparently, all these athletes <laughs> classically. So, uh, so you I don't heard. want that. Yeah, so so we've all heard. I, uh, well, the good news is, too, Grant, with Japan, is they're so organized that all the venues are completed. It wasn't like Rio, which was a total chaos. So if they push it off, they're ready to go. I mean, I know there are huge financial implications, but everything is set. And I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world if we did a safe Olympics. 
So um, let's shift gears because I, I, I've got you here, Grant, and I know that you usually have the inside scoop on a lot of things that are happening with U.S. soccer. Uh, you know, we don't qualify for the World Cup. Uh, no one seems to push the panic button. We drag our feet on hires. Uh, we find all kinds of stories about disorganization in the organization, um, you know, nepotism and uh, you know, bad feelings. Now this nightmare of a contract negotiation uh, between U.S. soccer and the women. And I don't think either side looks very good, to tell you the truth. Uh, what can we make of this? What, first of all, what can we make of Cindy Parlow? Um, we all know her. Tell us a little bit about her. Um, people think it's a pretty good hire. Yeah, I mean, like Cindy Parlow Cohn uh, won World Cup and Olympic titles with the U.S. women's national team in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, had to retire early due to concussion uh, yeah. aspects. Um, and she ended up becoming a coach, uh, won the first NWSL title in Portland as the coach of uh, the Portland Thorns, then uh, left on top, had that one season and moved back to North Carolina where uh, she's been with her husband and family. She's a youth coach. Um, you know, she's a soccer person, but she also got involved in, in sort of soccer politics. She was on the athlete council of U.S. soccer. Uh, she became the vice president of, of U.S. soccer a couple of years ago, uh, recently won election again to uh, the vice presidency, but she wasn't expecting to become U.S. soccer president. Right. And so, you know, very quick recap of what happened with Carlos Cordero resigning last week was this legal strategy that had become public that U.S. soccer was taking against the U.S. women's national team in their gender discrimination lawsuit was actually arguing that women are inherently, uh, they inherently have less skill, responsibility, and ability than men's players, and that's why they've been paid less. And that- Kind of a Jimmy the Greek moment there, I think. I, uh, I, I mean, honestly, I can't even- a losing like, argument. I can't Jeez. even imagine, no. like, and that might actually who knows in a court of law because courts of law are different from court of public opinion but like mm -hmm. because there is a court of public opinion you should never take that stance u.s soccer did it it confirmed what a lot of people have thought about u.s soccer in writing did. they did it in but writing in writing <laughs> and i remember when the the filings came out uh on a monday night uh, a week and a half ago and and my, i think i tweeted just like you know more totally shameful behavior from U.S. soccer is anyone on the athlete council or the board of directors going to say something publicly about how wrong this is? And yeah, it took a few days, mm -hmm. and what ended up causing the or causing stuff to happen was Coca-Cola, one of U.S. soccer sponsors, came out publicly and said the obvious: "This is offensive. We want to talk mm -hmm. to U.S. soccer immediately about this because this is not our values." And then other sponsors for U.S. Soccer uh, said similar things. I think it was like Deloitte, Volkswagen, Budweiser. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the players had a game uh, on that Wednesday night and uh, the She Believes Cup, and they did their own very sort of brilliant protest by wearing their pregame shirts inside out so that you couldn't see – there was an outline of the Federation badge. They basically made the Federation invisible, the badge, mm -hmm. and then they still had their four stars above them. And it was just, whoever thought of that inside the team Brilliant. is like really smart. Um, and 
That night, I wrote a column for SI.com calling for Carlos Cordero's resignation. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about it for a couple of days leading up to that. And I, because that was kind of an obvious thing. Obviously, the problem is not just Carlos Cordero. The problem is, uh, is entrenched in U.S. soccer. It's entrenched in the board of directors over decades. But he is the head of the board. He needed to go. The next day, he resigned. And so now we have Cindy Parlo Cohn um, in the presidency, and her job is going to be really, really hard, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's come in. There's no. There's still no CEO, which is insane because we've been waiting months, no. basically years, to replace Dan Flynn. Yeah. Uh, no relation. And <laughs> and and the CEO is the most important day to day job at U.S. Right. Soccer. Sure. You know, and the presidency is an unpaid position, by the way, should be paid, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and so now Cindy Parlacone has to be in charge of mending relationships uh, with the U.S. Women's National Team, of getting all these lawsuits settled, fixed, whatever, because the, the women's players lawsuit is not the only one. It's sure. the most important one, but there's other ones, too. Um, and then just starting to get a establish a culture of leadership inside U.S. soccer. I interviewed Jesse Marsh, who's over in Austria, hunkered down right now for my podcast, Planet Football, yesterday. And he made this very impassioned plea as a guy who cares about U.S. soccer for some kind of leadership to actually happen at U.S. soccer, because it hasn't been there. And what's happened over the last couple of weeks is the clearest case yet. I, I, I never heard Carlos Scudero speak. Uh, it's yeah. you know it just haven't seen he was like the man that never was and so he kind of came in and, and then he's out so well, um, I, I thought Cordero's explanation too saying that he hadn't read the legal brief was just so extraordinary I mean yeah. that alone should have him just frog marched out of the offices because it's just I, at first I just don't believe it either so. well that's the thing is I like I there's supposedly U.S. soccer says they're doing an investigation that they'll release very soon here about what happened inside the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors with, and, and even by the way, Cindy Parlo Cohn, like some, and other people on the board, why weren't you aware of this? Yeah, they right. should have, they checked off on it. I'm sure they read it before. Maybe I they mean, didn't I read don't, the- I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Sure. Either you were unaware of it and that's a big problem right. because like what your legal strategy is gonna be in, in this high profile case matters. Or it's almost worse, I think, if you were aware of it and signed off on it. And I don't, you know, I, we already know that Cindy Parlacone and Don Garber, they issued statements, uh, as well as Chris Aarons, I think, on the board, uh, that they, they weren't aware of this. And, and that's a breakdown, too. And so yeah. the culture of this board of directors of U.S. soccer needs to change now. Sure. And, but there was a reason I didn't write you know, calling for the resignation of every member of the board because I know that there are some members of the board who disagreed with the strategy. So yeah. who, the other person who does need to go, by the way, is the general counsel for U.S. soccer, sure. David Walkie, who, like, like that's, that should be easy. I can't believe she's still there. I mean, couldn't you inve- envision, though, um, Cindy Parlo Cohn just sitting across from the U.S. Women's National Team members and just coming to some kind of agreement fairly quickly just again i think there's an such an advantage 
for Cindy Parlow Cone to have, be having that conversation. Yeah, let, me, let me just interject here, because I've, I've taken some heat for this, but sh shouldn't it be, it's a business decision. I think what I have felt a little bit is that um, there's sort of a Title IX feeling here. Um, everything's equal, but it's not equal. And it seems like, I think the biggest holdup, Grant, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the FIFA money, the amount of FIFA money that comes in from the men's game and the amount of FIFA money that comes into the women's game. The women want an equal share of the money from the men's game. So, Yeah, I, I don't think that U.S. soccer should be on the hook for providing the difference in prize money that sure. FIFA has made over the last two World Cups that the women have won. So point being that I don't think whatever 34 million you get in prize mm -hmm. money for winning a World Cup on the men's side, I don't think U.S. soccer should be responsible for 66 million. I just don't. But I also saw that more as a legal strategy from the women's player side to get the number in between higher for any settlement that they would reach. Like, how does this, all along I thought this would end up not going to court and mm -hmm. that there would be a settlement, US soccer would write a check, and the question was just how much would the number be on that check? Mm -hmm. And the trial, or the case is supposed to start May 5th. I don't know how coronavirus might affect the court case and, and the date, but I do think what's happened at U.S. soccer over the last week increases the chances that we'll see a settlement. It's kind of been interesting. I thought it was going to be settled all along out of court. Yeah. And then in that period of about two weeks that ended last week when Cordero was still in charge, I thought, oh, we may actually see this case go to court. And then once Cordero resigned amid all of this and, and Parla Cohn came in, I, I feel like, once again, it's more likely to be settled out of court. You know, are we all missing Sunil right about now on the job he did all those years? You know, it's, uh, I mean, I think it could be interesting here because we're looking at an election again for president and vice president U.S. soccer next February. Yes. And then again, the year after, which right. is the normal year to have one. So um, I've been trying to find out, could Sunil run again next February yeah. and, and do it as, look, this, this stuff the crazy stuff didn't happen when I was in charge. I've still got a term left. Yeah. Um, and so we'll see if that happens. But like, uh, it, you know, it's kind of crazy. I do wonder if Cindy Parlacone is, is going to want to go just through February and let somebody else, you know, deal with it from that point on, or if she might actually want to continue. We just don't know yet. So Grant, we were, we were discussing this a little bit last week and kind of laughing at the fact that this sort of dysfunction is something we kind of tend to expect from, you know, a federation in a third world South American country, maybe. Um, and I'm curious, you know, I really enjoyed your interview with Jesse Marsh. And I'm wondering if you have a sense of what people abroad think of, you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation, um, or if they, you know, even pay attention to it, you know, other journalists or people in the game. You know, I, I don't think they have a broad, the, the kind of sense, the general sense of ineptitude <laughs> that we feel here about yeah. U.S. soccer. Yeah. Um, I, I think they see U.S. soccer, if they think about it at all, which they may not, uh, as this group that hosted a good World Cup in 94, and they, they have this amazing women's team. Uh, I think it, it's 
widely ranging what they think of the U.S. men's team whenever I'm abroad. I like, I, there's certainly an element, one element of soccer people abroad that is like, oh, this is a sleeping giant. You guys are going to, you know, be world champions at some point here, just like you took over everything else in the world. And then there's another element that's basically the opposite, which like took great pleasure in the U.S. men not qualifying for 2018. <laughs> and I do, I do remember like, during that World Cup in Russia, I was sort of underprepared for the amount of anti-U.S. vitriol from non-Americans mm-hmm. during that World Cup, um, which was also tied to how people abroad felt about our government. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, like, basically, uh, I wanted to tweet a fair amount to, in reply during that World <laughs> Cup of, I didn't vote for the guy, you know? like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> it's but, interesting you were in Russia because they all voted for him, I think. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, it's how the world views U.S. soccer is a fascinating topic. And, um, you know, it, it changes over time, but there's, there's uh, certainly different aspects. So, all right. Well, Grant, I guess, you know, there's, there's so many more things we could talk about with U.S. soccer because it seems like uh, they've been derelict and or just... Uh, nothing has changed in so many areas. Uh, development, uh, job diversity. The, there's no diversity at, at U.S. soccer, and uh, the women have a beef. It's, it's, um, you know, there's not a lot of women that are um, in the coaching ranks there at the top levels. Um, uh, you know, and then there's also the argument about the NWSL, uh, where it was somewhat subsidized by U.S. soccer, but there's no way to gauge marketing opportunities. Grail, you could talk about that. I mean, um, it doesn't seem like U.S. soccer has been really proactive in promoting that league. For so long, U.S. soccer was so tied in with MLS. Yeah. All of us have been in the soccer world for years. We're just, you know, hoping that it picked up steam and eventually MLS is a viable league, but the the women are going through the same, the same struggles that uh, the league had in its early formation. And it doesn't seem like uh, it's getting marketed as well. I I, I think they'll, yeah, I think the league is going to need to be connected to a bigger entity, just like the WNBA is connected to the NBA. That's my opinion. But, you know, in terms of how this gets resolved, I think, you know, if the women get a percentage of the revenue as opposed to a fixed amount, which is kind of the way it works for women's national teams in other countries. But don't um, they hide the money in some that's way? Much, yeah, but it's, it's just much more likely than, you know, they're not going to get $66 million or whatever. Is, yeah. is that approximately the fee uh, grant or the money that's being put that's out there? That's what they were asking for, which I thought was kind of like a high-end thing. Yeah. So yeah. get something, you know, I, I, the number I've heard is sort of most likely was $18 million. Okay. Uh, that they, that's where I think in that area we might eventually be heading. But if you were looking just at the World Cups, the men's versus the women's, if they got a, you know, you can't, the men's World Cup generates so much more revenue. So it can't be apples to apples. But if the women got a same percentage of the revenue from the World Cup that the men's got from the world, the men's World Cup, I could see that maybe as being a viable thing. It's just, it's just not, they're not, they're not making the same amount of money. So I just don't think the women can expect to generate the same amount of revenue essentially well, as, yeah as it, where I, how i feel on this one is yeah. that it's not it like, there hasn't been enough investment in women's soccer by fifa by mm-hmm. individual countries uh for decades i mean this was yeah. women's soccer was, was actually outlawed for like 50 years in the 20th century mm-hmm. in in much of the soccer world so um i i think they should be creative at least 
I wouldn't mind moving forward after this case is done if the U.S. men and the U.S. women players negotiated collective bargain, a collective bargaining agreement jointly mm-hmm. with U.S. soccer. I think that's a possibility. You know, I think Julie Foudy had a pretty good idea that uh, the, the U.S. men, the U.S. women, not just do that jointly, but any revenue that they, they earn, um, any prize money, all that stuff, be split 50 50 to mm-hmm. you know moving forward I, I think they can get creative here and i think also when you look at the money that is being generated right now by the u.s women's team um it's you know either on par or slightly above the men in part because the women win the men don't right and but you know then again well julie Foudy always has good ideas and i wouldn't mind her being the ceo um, plus she went with one of my one of my safety schools, Stanford. So she's a smart one. As, as did you, you Princeton grad, you. You're talking to Jesse Marsh. You guys, uh, you're probably in the same frat house at, at Princeton. Eating well, club. Well, uh, Grant, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball with all your insights on the world's game. Uh, from an American perspective is what we try to do here on Over the Ball. And uh, thanks to you for that. And then also to your wife for doing this great work and her great podcast, uh, Epidemic. So uh, stay safe. Stay right, cloistered, and, um, and we'll talk to you again on OTB, pal. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right. Well, uh, always great to talk to Grant. Um, he just seems so uh, so in the know. I don't know. There's so many hours in a day, and there's so much soccer news going around. But the guy always seems to have uh, his finger on the pulse of, of pretty much everything. It's almost like his job. <laughs> no, it's, uh, great. it's great giving getting his perspective on uh, both kind of the global impact on on soccer and also uh, inside U.S. soccer because we we really know only what we read about, and he seems even more kind of connected to the inner workings of it. And, and to, to your point, Flinny, what a mess. What a mess. Right. U.S. soccer. I, I almost wow. thought he was going to sort of say, ah, it's not that messed up, but he, he sort of concurred. I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> he, you know, did. he really did. So it was sort of like, oh, okay, I guess it is screwed up. Usually I'm just flying off the handle, but um, pretty much on every level, it is yeah. really, is really too bad. And, and like I Carlo. said, yeah, Cindy yeah. Carlo kind of is the reluctant, not reluctant, but just the accidental president, really. Yeah, but you know, also, uh, you know, just I quickly mentioned Sunil because for many years, you know, we were growing and it was getting better, and that was under Sunil. And I yeah. think a lot of the FIFA stuff that happened, you, if you look back uh, on it, Sunil somehow managed to swim with those sharks and still somewhat come out relatively unscathed internationally. Yeah. He was very powerful for FIFA there and now, but domestically, it just seemed like he had been in charge for so long that it was time for a change. But looking back now, it seems like, man, maybe uh, he had done a lot of the hard work and there was time to make some big changes. I actually wish, uh, you know, he had never left at this point. So now we lost a couple of years. Yeah, Yeah, we've lost a couple of years with Cordero and we're just kind of in limbo. Right. Well, guys, there's a there's a great article. Uh, I know they're one of our sponsors in Soccer America by Bo Dur uh, about some of the changes that U.S. soccer can make. Mm-hmm. Uh, great article to read. Everybody go out there and um, and uh, check that article out because we've got to make some changes because it's oh, scary. Yeah. And if we don't do well in this next World Cup or God forbid not to qualify, 
whatever qualifying looks like, we don't know. Yeah. You know, it is, it is fortuitous, funny, sorry to interrupt, but uh, that the World Cup, as much as we bemoaned that it was moved to late in 2022, we thought, that's odd. Why is it so late? It's actually good because with everything kind of shifting a year in terms of tournaments and stuff, it's actually good that it ends up being at the end of 2022. Yeah, but that's called luck. That's it like, is no, good luck. No, it's not good planning fortune. and, yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a positive thing to focus on. Sam, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, listening to all the dysfunction that's going on at U.S. soccer, I mean, I when we were talking to Alexi Lawless a couple of weeks ago about just how difficult a job it is to unite everybody, I think it's really easy for right. people to say, like, oh, we need to get on the same page, work together. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Mike Waitola, who we've had on a bunch, has talked about this, too, the idea of things going more regional. Uh, I mean, I, I just wonder if that's not, you know, in the future, just because of how diverse, you know, the soccer community is here. And, right. Um, and how big we are, Sam. Yeah. You know, 340 million people. Uh, you know, people were using Germany as an example or Iceland as an example. It's like, yeah. it's, it, again, it's apples and oranges. And so, I thought Alexi's point was really good about how the different regions of the country play different types of soccer. Yeah, right? for sure. Forget that. Sure. Like, they, they're, yeah. they're teach differently and they play a different style. And we kind of tend to forget that. So I thought that that was a great point by Alexi. Okay. Well, great show, guys. Uh, stay safe out there. I'd like to thank our guests, our guest, period, um, Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated. You can also catch him on the Planet Football podcast. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB, the show where we take an American's view on the world's game. 